Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. And amen. Praise God. Well, we've been talking about end times for the last few weeks. And what I would like to do this morning is talk about our motivation to finishing strong. That is the life that we're living here upon this earth. We know that Jesus is coming soon. We know we're living in the last of the last days. We know that the Feast of Trumpets is coming up. And who knows? We could hear that trumpet sound and be out of here even this fall. Now, I'm not saying that we are. It's a possibility. It's a possibility next fall. We don't know. No one knows the time, the date, or the hour. But I'm saying this because over the years, I've been preaching for 40, almost 41 years, actually just about 41 years now here. But also before that, when I first got saved, there were individuals that just came to the Lord when I did. Over the years, I've seen individuals kind of fall away or fall off. Not walk away completely from the Lord, but just not as enthusiastic or excited about the things of God as they once were. In some cases, it's because maybe they got hurt along the way by other people. Well, it's important to recognize our need to keep our eyes on Jesus and not other people. As much as we love other people, we know that we're all imperfect. We all have flaws, character flaws, shortcomings, faults, and all that. So... Whenever you go to a church anywhere, or if you're in a group of any amount of people, you know it's possible that you might get hurt by someone. But that doesn't mean that we turn away from God and walk away from God, or not serve God like we should. If you recall, I oftentimes will allude to a woman that was uh, brought to me in my apartment when I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she basically quoted a scripture to me saying that she'll never serve God again because she said, God said in his word, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that he would never allow you to be tempted above that you are able. And she said, the day my child died is the day I stopped serving God. I can't handle that. And I, I went to pastors, other pastors, and they said the same. They told me God just needed another flower in heaven, which was really not the truth. But she believed it. And she said, basically, if that's the way God is, I don't want to serve him. I did my best to convince her. You need to come back to God. You need to walk with God. He's not the enemy. The thief steals, kills, destroys, but not God. That's not what he does. Um, I pray that it penetrated her heart. I never saw her ever again. But you see, there are others out there that, that are like that. It makes me kind of wonder why people walk away from God. Sometimes it's because of doctrine. There are some doctrines that people are afraid of, doctrines of devils that um, basically are taught to people that can lead them away from the Lord. Well, I want you to read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 with me. And let's focus on something that's positive in the life of someone called the Apostle Paul. Notice what he says. I lived on flowery beds of ease all my life. Ever since I became a Christian, it was a cakewalk. No challenges, no issues, no problems, no troubles, no tribulations, no storms. Hmm. 
No adversity. No, he didn't say that, did he? No. I fought a good fight. Why would he have to fight? Because there's someone against him. I have finished, not my neighbor's course, my course. I have kept the faith. You know, when I read that, I have finished my course. You know what it reminds me of? Peter talking to Jesus and saying, well, what's John going to do? And what did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, mind your own business. You do what I'm telling you to do. And as far as John is concerned, hey, if I want to be alive forever, that's between him and me. So it's your course. It's my course. God never asks us to do something that someone else is to do. But if we'll do what he tells us to do, look what happens. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And so what's he talking about? Every one of us has a call of God upon our lives. Every one of us is called to do something. Nothing is too big and nothing is too small. But here's the thing. God's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for someone to fulfill whatever it is he's called them to do. And that's it. He knows our frame. He knows our abilities, inabilities. He knows our talents. He knows everything about us. He's not going to ask us to do something we're not qualified to do. And to be honest with you, if there's something he asks us to do that we're not qualified to do, he will qualify us by equipping us and giving us all the resources that we need to be able to do it. So what's Paul saying? Stay focused. You've got a course to finish. You'll be opposed. There's going to be opposition along the way. But stay the course and don't let anyone or anything get you off course. Now, Paul's life and ministry really should speak volumes to our lives when we talk about this. Why? He started out as Saul. Saul was the destroyer of the church. He went about trying to kill Christians and put them in jail, uh, be having them martyred or beheaded because they served Christ. That's how it was back then. If you renounced Judaism and went into Christianity, well, when he saw Jesus on the Damascus road, what happened? He had a complete 180, complete turnaround. Now the destroyer, Saul, becomes Paul, the builder. As the builder, he writes over half of the New Testament. Think about that. What a transition. What a transformation in his life. And once he got his feet heading in the right direction, what did Jesus tell him? You're going to suffer a lot for my namesake. So I want you to understand that right now. But you know what? At the end of it all, you'll get a crown. Actually, more than one. So here we understand that as we live our lives upon this earth, we're going to have persecution. We're going to have affliction. We're going to have trials, distractions, and all kinds of things coming against us to get us to walk away from God. But don't ever lose sight of the fact that Jesus loved you so much. He died for you so that you could lay down your life for him and be with him eternally. Don't let anyone or anything get you or me off course when it comes to our walk with God. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, if you would please. Now, Paul the apostle suffered much. As a matter of fact, only second to Jesus himself. He suffered so much when he walked here upon this earth. But you know what? He was not deterred. He was not distracted. He did not walk away from the call of God upon his life, no matter how severe his persecution or suffering was. That should set us 
an example to follow that he could do that, I can do the same thing. Now remember, he's a man like we are. You might say, well, if you look at Jesus, well, he was the son of God. Well, so are we, sons and daughters of the most high God. But Paul, we could relate to him. He was a murderer, a killer of Christians. But all of a sudden, he makes a turnaround and he finishes the course that God had for his life. Let's read it. Looking unto Jesus, author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint where in your minds. See, Paul kept his eyes on the prize. Jesus kept his eyes on the prize. And in verse one of that text, we're told we've got a race to run. And we too are to set aside all the weights that would hold us back. And don't be distracted from it. Stay on that course, stay on that path until you finish your course because there's great rewards. Matter of fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. I believe that some people, um, again, walk away because they don't understand that there's a powerful motivation for them to stay on their course with God. You know, you realize at the end of that trip, you might be heading out to the ocean somewhere. You're going to spend maybe a week at Myrtle Beach somewhere and in the sun. And, you know, you stay on the course. Why? Because you're looking for the reward at the end to get there, to relax, to have the sun and also the sea, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the same thing is true with us. But you know what? This is more than a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. There's a reward for us at the end of the path. And it's called eternal glory crowns of righteousness and so on that we experience and so we should be motivated to stay on course why because there's so much for us to experience at the end of it all look at what it says know you not that they which run in a race run all but one receives the prize so run that you may obtain and every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we an incorruptible notice it's a crown i therefore so run not as uncertainly so fight I not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Here we see the apostle was driven to experience or to obtain an incorruptible crown. He says uh, every single one of us should be so motivated. There are crowns and there are rewards at the end of our race that you and I should be motivated to experience. Well, we shouldn't be satisfied with just making heaven. And thank God, that's the most important thing. But what about what we experience in heaven? Don't you want to have the best that God has for you? Don't you want to receive those crowns for your efforts here upon this earth and serving the Lord? Well, every single one of us should. As a matter of fact, every single one of us has a call and a responsibility to do something small for the Lord. But to him, it's not small no matter what it might be. He knows your abilities. He knows your talents. He knows your gifts. He knows what you're capable of doing. And as I said, he'll anoint you to do whatever you can't even do. Well, I want to talk about five crowns that should motivate us to serve God in such a way so as to finish our course faithfully with God. Number one, we just looked at it, the incorruptible crown. Look at verse 25 once again in that same text in case you missed it. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. This crown is for those that crucify their flesh, deny themselves, take up their cross, 
follow Jesus, they practice self-control. They keep the flesh under to, in order for what reason? To honor God in their conduct, their character, their behavior. In other words, they sacrifice their own personal ambition also for what reason? To honor God. Why? Because he bought and paid for us. We belong to him in spirit, soul, and in body. Well, when we know that by keeping this body under, we will receive an incorruptible crown, which is really something that's imperishable, then it motivates us to do what? As John said, if you've got this hope in being changed into this glorious estate, what do you do? You keep your flesh under and you purify yourself, even as he is pure. Look at Mark's gospel, chapter 10. We want to do God's will. We want to fulfill his plan. But the flesh oftentimes will get in the way and prevent us from staying the course. It's up to us to bring it in. It's up to us to crucify the flesh. It's up to us to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. It's up to us so that we can finish our course successfully. Look what Peter said here. You talk about rewards. Then Peter began to say unto them, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, brethren, sisters, father, mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. What is he saying? Some people might have to give up family. Now remember this, when you're a Jewish person living back then and you accept Christ as your savior, you're giving up family. Orthodox Jews don't believe in the name of Jesus. They don't believe in the New Testament. And if you as a Jewish person choose to get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, it's not like us here in our society. We're so spoiled here. Back then, you give it all up. You give it up. No wonder he said, deny yourself. You're no longer part of the synagogue. You're no longer a part of the family. You're an outcast unless the rest of them get saved. But that's what they were facing. And so what did Jesus say? Look, you, if you give all that stuff up, you're going to get a whole lot more back in this life. And in the life to come, man, there's eternal life for you. Things beyond you can even imagine. So in other words, it's important to give up even personal aspirations why? To pursue something that is so precious, so meaningful, and so valuable in the life to come. So this is called the imperishable crown, which means this crown will endure forever. And you remember the round wreath that they put on top of the heads of the Olympi Olympians that won the gold medal. They came in first place. They put it on, they crowned it on their head. This is called an imperishable crown because that crown will perish. But this crown will be with you for eternity. Uh, number two, there's the crown of rejoicing. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. In other words, the people are. This is called the soul winner's crown, the crown of of rejoicing it is for those who witness for jesus and preach the gospel 
or proclaim the gospel message to people so as to inspire them or influence them to make Christ the Lord and Savior of their lives. And here's something that's important. I'll never forget this. When I was first saved, I was thinking, if you really want that crown, if you really want to have greater glory, you've got to lead many, 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 many people to Christ. But you know what? I don't believe that that's how it is. Here's what I believe. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but this is what I believe. Whether they, not, whether they accept Christ or not is not the point. One waters, one sows the seed, one waters the seed, but who gives the increase? God gives the increase. You did your part to make it possible for them to come to Christ. You'll be rewarded for that. Whether they ever make that decision or not is up to them, not up to you. But because you have an interest and a concern in other people's eternal well-being, you go to them with the gospel, you share with them salvation, you may give your testimony, and you let them know that they can have life and have it more abundantly in Christ. And if they accept Christ, that's once again to your credit. But if they don't accept Christ, it's still to your credit that you made it possible for them to accept Christ, and you'll be rewarded for that. So it's not the amount of people, praise God, it's the fact that you're willing to share with others the gospel message. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. By your precept, by your example, they see who you are. You live your life in such a way in the workplace that they know you are different. I remember when I first got saved, I worked in the mill in the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company up in Youngstown, Ohio. And there were these two individuals, they were brothers, and they would have written on their helmets, Jesus saves. And trust me, they stuck out like a sore thumb. But anywhere and everywhere they went, all the people that were there, and if you've ever been in a mill, it's like an underworld. They were laughed at, they were criticized, they were mocked and all that, because they believed in Jesus Christ. At first, when I wasn't saved, I just thought, "Mm, kind of odd that they would be so expressive of what they believe. When I got saved, whoa, I thought, wow, what boldness, what courage to be here in this place where people are absolutely wild and yet stand for Christ and let others know by advertisement, Jesus saves. See, other people, as Jesus said, they don't want to come to the light because they love darkness more than they love the light. But once again, you're not responsible for them to make the decision You and I are only responsible to let them know that there is a way. And you'll be rewarded for that. So by your example, by your words, by your behavior, by your influence, what do you do? You make it easier for someone else to come to Christ because they see in you your hope of glory. And they wonder why you're such an exciting person, why you're so enthusiastic and why you love life and why you're living in a different time zone than what they are. It's because you have this hope in you. The hope of eternal glory. Well, look in Acts chapter 26 to give you an example of what I'm talking about. Remember the apostle Paul went to King Agrippa and he was basically sharing the gospel with him. And as he, line upon line, precept upon precept, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, here's what King Agrippa said. Acts 26, 28, then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian almost. Man, he cut him close to it. 
But you see, he still had to make his own decision. He still had to make his own choice. And apparently at this point, he chose not to. Now, at another point, maybe he did. I don't know. But I know this. Paul the Apostle was bold to share the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ at a time when there was great persecution in the church to let this king know that he too, you could be a mighty king. It doesn't matter. Needed saved. He too needed saved. And I believe that Paul was definitely rewarded for what he did. Now, I know in my life, there are, on different occasions, I've done the same thing. Brought someone to a place, and they were almost there. But then they walked away and said, no. I remember walking with a fellow in downtown Midland. This is in the early days when I first came here. And I mean, I went through the whole gospel message with him as we were walking from place to place. And everything I was saying, he was agreeing with. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he came to the earth. I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe that he walked as no man walked, spoke as no man spoke, did as no man did, signs, wonders, miracles. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe he went to a cross. I believe he suffered and died. And I believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day. I said, well, it's wonderful that you believe all that. It's absolutely wonderful that you believe all that. I said, there's only one thing that you might lack. And what is that? You've got to give him your life. You've got to give him your heart. You've got to make him your savior. Will he accept him? to be your Savior and your Lord? He stopped in his tracks as we were walking, looked at me and just said, no, I think I'm doing a pretty good job taking care of myself in this life. Okay. See, there's a thing called mental assent. We could mentally assent to everything that Jesus did for us, but that is not reality and it's not faith. You can agree to it, but it doesn't mean you embrace it. it. doesn't mean you really believe it from the heart because believing is an action word. If you believed it, you would embrace it. If you believe something would help you, you would take it. If you believe doing this would do something great for you, you would do it. So just saying, I believe all those things about Christ is not salvation. I've had people say, well, I grew up in a church. And in a church, I was, for example, baptized as a baby and that covers it. No. That's not what the Bible teaches. And of course, with kindness and wisdom, you try to lead them down the path of salvation and let them know a baby can't accept Christ. That's an impossibility. A baby doesn't have the understanding of the gospel message, doesn't know how to express himself or herself in words. That's an impossibility. And even though the parents were doing it for the child, that's an impossibility also. You can't eat for your child. You can't drink for your child. You can't sleep for your child. There are a lot of things we can't do. You can't exercise for your child either. That's only good for you. So the point is this. Every individual must make a decision for himself or herself because when they stand before the great white throne judgment of our Lord, they can't say, well, this person didn't help me or that person. But No, it's on you. It's a decision that you have to make, that I have to make, to give Christ our heart. King Agrippa didn't do it, even though he was brought to that place. Another fellow I know that um, I gave him the gospel message was so excited about it. I was thrilled because I was young in my Christian experience as well. And I led him, once again, to a place where he could accept Christ, and I believed he was going to do it. The next day, he talked to another family member 
And that family member said that I'm nothing more than a communist. And the things that I was saying were absolutely off the wall and bizarre. Didn't understand about being born again. Even though that's what Jesus said. So this same person that I talked to that I thought was really at that place. I pray someone watered it. I pray that he gave his heart to Christ because he has died since. But he said, no, I'm not going to do that. Someone, his, his family member told him, there's no need to do that. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. What a lie of the devil. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust your abilities. You and I can't trust that we're capable of being saved in our own strength. We've got to accept Christ. So the soul wonders crown of rejoicing. Just tell people about Jesus and you'll be rewarded for that. Number three, this crown is called the crown of life. Look at James chapter one and verse 12. And we all can relate to this. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Notice how that's pretty compact. In other words, we really love God. And when we love God, then we make decisions to do what? Face temptations in this life in the light of our love for Christ. In other words, our flesh might be tempted to want to do something. Matter of fact, James goes on and talks about you're enticed, your flesh is enticed, and you walk away from your love for God, and you end up into some sort of sin or something of that nature. And as a result, of course, you know, you find yourself in a position where you need forgiveness. But he is saying here, the man who endures temptation, in other words, he stands up under the pressure of temptation. He makes a decision to face it, whether it's temptation, persecution, trials, tribulations. Jesus said you'll have them. Paul said you'll have them. James said you'll have them. But the crown of life goes to those that endure it, which means you continue serving the Lord along the way. And even though you're, let's say, being drawn that way, you don't go that way. Why? Because of your love for Christ. There is no temptation given us among men at all that we're not capable of overcoming with the power of God in our lives. And that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's common to man, whatever it is that we're going to face in this life. Temptations, trials, tribulations, whatever. The crown of life goes to the one that says, I'm going to hold up under it. I'm going to stand up against it. I'm going to refuse to, let's say, give in and engage myself in it. If I do along the way and miss the mark like we all do along the way, I'm going to ask God's forgiveness, but also I'm going to ask for him to help me to overcome it next time. This is so important. Sometimes we'll hear Christians, and we've all been guilty of it, say kiddingly, well, I'll just go ahead and do it, then I'll ask God to forgive me after. Well, that's not the right attitude that any of us should have before God. We know we can get forgiveness and we should never take advantage of that. But that's a wrong heart attitude to have before God. No, no. When we're tempted in this life, we need to know there's that verse of scripture. There's no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. But with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That you could stand up under it. And so he's talking about the fact that you and I can exercise our faith in God to such a degree decree a degree that we don't have to cave in under the pressure but if we do once again there's two things yes we need forgiveness and yes 
We need empowerment. When he said, come boldly to the throne of grace to, tame, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy, not giving me what I deserve. Forgiving me for what I did. But grace, empowering me. Divine enablement, equipping me. So we should get forgiveness, which is mercy, but then also ask for grace. I need your grace in this area. It might be a weak area of my life, but I need your grace. So Lord, thank you for forgiving me. But also, thank you for empowering me. So that when I face that same temptation next time, I don't cave in under the pressure and yield myself to it. What's going to happen? God will reward, will reward those who overcome temptation with the crown of life. Doesn't that just sound wonderful? The crown of life. Another motivation for us to strive for the crowns of life. Number four, righteousness. The crown of righteousness. We read this in 2 Timothy 4, 8. Let's bring it up once again. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. This is a crown that goes to those that finish their course. Not somebody else's course, but their course. In other words, they make a decision that as they live on this earth, the time that they've been allotted, that they are going to live their life in righteousness, in right standing with God. They're going to stand up for the things of God, the moral laws of God, and they're going to do what God would instruct them to do as far as the way they live their life and also what they do in life, their pursuits in life. They look to him to order their steps. Think about the apostle Paul. He had it made in Judaism. He had it made among all those religious leaders and people. He was the creme de la creme as far as he himself said in the book of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Jew of the Jew. I mean, he was highly intelligent and educated, had a high position, high place and all that. But you know what? He gave it all up to get on a path that would enable him basically to be the second most persecuted suffering individual upon the planet. Just to give you an example, what makes Jesus suffering more so than Paul's is he became sin for us. And we still don't know the depth of the wrath of God being poured out on him. But Jesus, and I know you've seen the passion of the Christ, and you see the, the beating of Jesus, you see what he took in his flesh, you see all the blood that's pouring out, how gory it is. Paul had that five times. Not once, five times. Three times beaten with rods. Almost unimaginable. One time stoned many believe to death and God raised him from the dead. Think about it. This man left, was left in the sea a day and a night in the sea in famine and I mean he was hunger, hungered and he went through so much affliction, so much persecution but he says the Lord deliver me out of them all. But the point is this man suffered great things. Jesus said you're going to suffer great things for my namesake and he did but he did not cower in fear. He did not turn away. He didn't get off the path. He didn't let somebody who hit him with a brick change his direction. This man says, look, there's a crown of righteousness. If you'll live right for God, if you'll lay down your life for him, you'll suffer persecution, tribulation, trials, temptations, but you know what? Stay on course. There's a reward for you at the end of the race. It's a crown of righteousness that's for you and all those 
that focus their eyes on his appearing. Remember in Hebrews, Jesus endured the cross. Why? He was able to look on the other side of the cross and realize many sons and daughters will be birthed into the family of God as a result of my sacrifice. I'm going to endure this for them. I'm going to walk through this for them. And the path that you take, you have no idea. I have no idea how many that you're going to bring along with you as a result of your walk and your path that you take. Think about the Apostle Paul, how many he impacted. Think about Peter on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came into the family of God. The others that went out and proclaimed Jesus and decided to live a righteous, holy life in, in light of what they knew about Christ. Yeah, they were persecuted, but many also came into the kingdom of God. What about you? Who brought you to Christ? Where did you hear about him? Aren't you glad that somebody laid down their life to make it available to you? Who witnessed to you? Who was concerned about your eternal spiritual well-being? Absolutely, we all should be thankful for those that have done so. So we see a crown of righteousness. I understand we have flaws. I understand we have imperfections. I understand that no one is sinless and God's not looking for sinless perfection whatsoever. What is he looking for? Commitment, faithfulness, a willingness to say, I want it done your way in my life, Lord. Your way, not my way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is the way of death. Sometimes I think I've shared with you about this man at a funeral that I did years ago. And this man obviously didn't have any spiritual convictions whatsoever. And when I got done with my message, I always give an altar call. I always invite people to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. This man just stood up and stretched his arms out and let out a big yawn and just blurted out in front of everybody there. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to stand before God. I'm not afraid of anything. I don't fear anyone. I don't fear anything. You know what? Not a good thing to say because I do believe if that man ever got right with God, one day he'll find himself hearing those words echo in his own ears before the great white throne judgment when he says, can't you let me into your kingdom? God will play back those words. I'm not afraid of God. You know, that's a problem today. There's no fear of God. We all need to fear him. The one, really, who holds our destiny and destination in his own hands. But the crown of righteousness, once again, is for those that make a decision that I'm not just going to accept Christ. I'm going to live right. I'm going to serve him with my life. I'm going to see to it that I practice what I believe. Honoring the Lord and all I decide to do. And then finally, number five, there's the crown of glory. Once again, these are motivations. Motivating us to live a certain way for Christ. Because we know at the end of the journey, these things await us. And that is eternal, imperishable, never cease to exist. These crowns on this earth, no matter who a person is, a musician, a movie star, an actor, whatever, it doesn't matter. Any accolade that they receive, you can get a Tony Award. You can get all the awards and accolades you could possibly receive when you walk around the red carpet. But it ends at some point. And it's over. And guess what? It's but a vapor. What we're talking about is eternity. Eternal rewards for the things we do to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. Glory. 
the crown of glory. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. This is the crown of glory. Hallelujah. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now here we have the crown of glory. This crown is for those who minister the word of God by precept and example. They teach the word of God. It would include pastors, teachers, missionaries, Sunday school teachers and workers, and anyone who gives themselves to the study of God's word to help others by investing in their lives, teaching them the truth that you've learned. So when you position yourself to be a teacher of God's word in any capacity, there awaits you a crown of glory. You are teaching God's word to people so their lives can be revolutionized and transformed. And so when you take it upon yourself to share your faith, share the word of God, open up your home to a Bible study, what you're doing is making it possible for you to experience this crown on the other side in glory. It's called the crown of glory. And so, yes, it's going to take a sacrifice to do it. You know why? I believe that Sunday school teachers are going to be blessed because they take these young children and invest in their lives the truth of God's word. They commit themselves, they dedicate themselves, and in many cases, our Sunday school teachers are not even in a church service for themselves, but they're set aside with the young people, and they are teaching them and teaching them, instructing them in the word of God, in the ways of God, so that as from a youth like Timothy, he's learned the Holy Scriptures so he could govern his life according to the ways of God and purposes of God. These teachers that are so dedicated on the other side, they're going to be rewarded with the crown of glory. Whether you're a missionary, pastor, teacher, whatever it is, your capacity that you do, you're going to be rewarded for teaching and preaching and proclaiming the word of God. Once again, it doesn't have to be a formal five-fold ministry. You could be someone who's on a street just telling others about Jesus, sharing the word of God, showing them what the word of God says. But the point is, you're actively serving God in these particular capacities. And what ends up happening is this, you get rewarded. We should be so motivated. Each and every one of us should be so motivated. Why? Because there's great things that lie ahead of us. Wonderful crowns and rewards that every single one of us can achieve by faithfully serving God. And you know what? If you follow me with this, this is so important. When you and I are in glory, and like I said, we just got talk, done talking about the rapture of the church and all that. And we're in heaven, and we see those beasts and elders bowing down before the Lord, casting down their golden crowns. You know what? I believe we're going to take part in that. I believe that every one of us that receives a crown, whether it's righteousness, a crown of glory, a crown of life, whether it's a crown of rejoicing, the imperishable crown, incorruptible crown, whatever the crown might be, we know that we got this crown not because of us, but because of Jesus. We'll probably join in with them and just say, Lord, I'm casting down my crown at your feet. You deserve this, not me. 
You see, it pays to serve the Lord. Don't store up for ourselves treasures on this earth where rust is corrupt and moth eat at it. What does he tell us to do? Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where no moths exist, where there's no rust in any way. But because you live your life in such a way so as to honor God, you're storing up for yourselves these crowns that you'll be rewarded with as you enter into the joy of your Lord. Isn't that something to be motivated to do? I believe we all should. And that's why we have church. And that's why we gather together and make it possible for people to experience these things, whether it's in a Sunday school class and teaching and in other capacities. And that's why, whether you're teaching a Bible study here at the church, and we have that as well. But anyone committed, praise God, to serving God will be rewarded. As a matter of fact, how about this one? I wonder if there's a giving a cold cup of water award to people. Anyone that will give a cup of water in the name of the Lord, you've done it to him. No matter what it is that we do to give, you give and it's given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He says he causes men to give into your bosom. What a wonderful God we serve. What a holy God we serve. Well, beloved, I just believe with all my heart that God wants us to be so motivated, rejuvenated, refueled, refired to truly serve him in some capacity with our lives. He wants us to know motivation is clear. There's rewards on the other side. Don't just be satisfied with getting into heaven. You want heaven's best. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each and every one of us as we stand in your presence. I thank you for the gifts, the callings, the talents, the abilities, all the investments that you have made in each and every one of us. And we know they're in there. And they can and will emerge as we commit ourselves to walking in what you've called us to do. May each of us be so motivated, dear Father, to lay down our lives for you as Christ laid down his lives for us. That we might faithfully serve him by denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him in the regeneration of the Son of Man. May we all be, Father God, so motivated that we rise up to a place of not just hearing, but doing those things that we've heard. Father, may each and every one now be so empowered and impacted by your word that they too will rise up, be refired, refueled, and go forth in a powerful and glorious way, proclaiming the good news in every way they possibly can, influencing everyone in their sphere or circle of life. And Father, thank you for the enablement to do it as you stretch forth your hands to heal and for signs and wonders to be wrought by the name of the Holy Child Jesus. And we'll give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.